My name is Ed Baker. I am not on staff here at Orchard Hill, which seems really strange. Sometimes I almost I'm almost embarrassed to say this. Sometimes I wonder if I really believe in God. Does that question, that thought ever cross your mind? Even those of you who are are Christians, followers of Jesus, maybe have been Christians for a long time, I know when it hits me. It usually happens when I'm praying silently. And and suddenly it the thought hits me. This is crazy. I mean, do I actually believe that there is some being out there who is aware of these little electrical impulses jumping around in my brain and who interprets them as some kind of meaningful communication and is aware of me lying here in my bed thinking these thoughts among all the billions of people on the earth, on the, you know, this one planet around a star among billions and billions of stars. Do I honestly think that there is some being out there who is tracking with me on this? And then I remind myself, yeah, I do. I do believe there is a God who is just like that. That is just the way the Bible describes him. You know, we're in the, the third week now of this series in which we're, we're looking at the last part of the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. And I've got to confess that I'm the one who really pushed us to cover these because I love this section of scripture. And even though we're in the third week, today we're actually going to be looking at chapter 40 of Isaiah, which is the first chapter with which we began looking at these um, last chapters in Isaiah. And it is an amazing chapter. I would just love for you to go home and read the whole thing. There are so many pieces in it that will be familiar to you that you'll read them and you go, oh, that's where this comes from. And and one of the things that that I love so much about this chapter and all of this section of Isaiah is that it that it holds up two Different pictures of God that are both so important. On the one hand, it pictures God as this huge, big, unbelievably gigantic, different being. And then it also presents God as this dear, caring, loving person who wants to be a part of our lives. So what I want us to do today as we're focusing on Isaiah chapter 40 is to take a little time looking at both of those emphases. Now, I want us to begin by thinking about three unique characteristics of God that I think are vitally important for us to understand. The first one is this, that God is eternal, that God has no beginning and no end. I remember when I was maybe second grade and I'm at home and I'm sitting at the kitchen table and my mother is doing something at the sink and I ask her the question that kids ask at that age, who made God? And I remember my mother's, you know, basic, simple answer. She said, well, Eddie, well, Eddie, nobody made God. God has always existed. And I think I nodded my head and didn't understand that at all. And today I still can't understand that. In fact, I'm coming to realize that so many of the basic truths that we believe about God are so 
big and so different than anything else. We can't really wrap our minds around them. God is eternal. He had no beginning and no end. He has always existed. If you look at at verse 48 in, in Isaiah chapter 40, it says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. The Lord is the everlasting God. He is eternal. He had no beginning. He had no end. He has always existed. So when the, when the writers in the Bible were trying to, um, to get a handle on that, they compared God to, to the things that seemed the longest lasting, most permanent, eternal things they could think of. Psalm 90, which is a psalm that was written by Moses. And he says, you know, O Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I mean, to them, the the mountains just seem so solid and dependable and permanent. You know, the earth itself. They're saying, you know, they are, they are permanent, but God, they are nothing compared to you. And that is true. Because there is nothing else that exists that is eternal, right? Only God. Our understanding of time has has expanded so much just in in the last hundred years or so. I'm I I enjoy reading about and thinking about the universe. And you know, cosmologists would say now that their best guess is that the universe is 13.7 billion years old. Now I don't know what your view is of a young Earth or a young universe, but if that's the case, that is mind blowing to think. See, I have to start with sort of really small steps. I can sort of imagine a hundred years or maybe a thousand years and to try to extrapolate that on and on and on, you know, to 13.7 billion years, I can't grasp it. But the truth is that when God created the universe, however he did it, 13.7 billion years ago, that God had already existed eternally before that. That there was a time in which nothing else existed. No matter, no energy, no space, maybe no time. And then in an instant, somehow God brought into being everything that exists. And at that point, God had already existed. He was already the eternal, powerful God. He had no beginning and He has no end. And someday when all of this will shut down and the universe will come to an end, there will still be the eternal God. And we get into trouble when we try to compare God to, uh, to other things. Um, the verses from Isaiah that I had quoted in the bulletin say, you know, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. And that's the question. Well, there's, there's no one who is your equal. There is no one to whom we compare you. You are absolutely unique. So if we think about God just existing for a really long time, we kind of think of him the way we think of other things that exist for a long time. So it must mean that God is really old, right? God is really, really old. And so we get this metal picture of sort of the Michelangelo portrait of God, you know, with the long white beard. But God is not old. He is eternal. 
So we may think of people when they, they exist for a long time as they grow old, you know, you get to be 70 years old in the prime of life and you, you have become wise and we think, well, then God must be really wise now. But God not only exists eternally, God exists eternally in perfection. God is no wiser now than he was a million years ago or a billion years ago because God has always existed perfectly in perfect wisdom. Or we take it the other way and we think about people living a long time and they be some people begin to get feeble and forgetful and we wonder if that's how God is becoming no God exists eternally in perfection he is has always existed and always existed in a perfect way so sometimes it helps me when i read the bible to kind of focus on the fact that the things i'm reading about took place a long time ago And that God existed then in perfection. So God calls to Abraham. And I remind myself, Abraham lived 4,000 years ago. So I can kind of grasp that. Yeah, 4,000 years ago, God existed in perfection and was calling out, you know, people to know him. I can't grasp 13.7 billion years. I can't grasp eternity. But I believe that it's true. And I believe that's how God exists. One other thing lately that has helped me is the understanding that we're coming to have that time is relative. Again, it's a concept I can't really grasp, but I believe is true that not everyone experiences time in the same way. And that is your velocity, your speed increases and it nears the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Time slows down that you experience it in a different way. And that maybe some places, like maybe in the center of a, of a black hole where the gravity is so unbelievably intense, the time slows down to a point where maybe it doesn't exist at all. And that opens up a door for me to think maybe in some way that helps us understand a God who is eternal. That maybe God is actually apart from time the way we experience it. Maybe when the Bible says you know, that to you, Lord God, a thousand years are like a day, maybe that isn't just poetry Maybe that's factual truth. The God that we worship is an everlasting God. How amazing is that? Not only is God eternal, God is all-powerful, omnipotent, all-powerful. And the word that's often used to describe God then is almighty. I bet you have used that word to describe God many times. The Lord God almighty. But do you stop to think about what that means? It means that God has all power. And then again, we get into trouble if we try to compare him to anything else because there is nothing else that is all powerful, almighty. We think of Something like the sun, which is, you know, the source of most of the energy and and power on the earth. I mean, here's this huge ball of energy, 93 million miles away, huge. A million earths could fit inside the sun. And it's just radiating energy constantly. I read that you to equal, 
to match the output of energy from the sun, you would have to detonate 100 billion tons of dynamite every second to match the output of the energy from the sun. And we think of something like that, and it just seems like like it's, it's all power, all energy. But it's not, is it? The sun is going to use up its energy. It's going to use up its power. Not soon, maybe five billion years, they would tell us. But at some point, that energy will be gone. And it will begin that dying process of of becoming first a red giant and then a white dwarf and then a, a black dwarf. And it ends up just being this ball, cold, lifeless ball of metal out there in space. It isn't just that God has more power than anything else. It's that God's power is different than anything else. It's infinite power. So it's hard for us not to think of it in terms of ourselves. So when we do work, you know, it's effort and we extend energy and power and then that energy and power has to be replenished. One, one of the things that I struggle with sometimes is the description of God creating the universe because it can be so easily misunderstood, I think. The, the natural way to understand it is sort of God working really hard for six days. Okay, what day is this? You know, and he creates the mountains and I think I'll put the mountains over here. And then at the end of six days, I mean, God is exhausted. Woohoo! I need a rest. And God grabs a cold beer and flops on the hammock. Is that how you picture the power of God? No, no, no. When God finished creating everything that exists, He was not tired. He had not expended His energy. God had as enough power then as He had before He started. And God's resting means that he was able to step back and look at and enjoy and celebrate what he had created. God's power is never used up. It is infinite and eternal. Again, that same verse from from Isaiah 40, verse 28 Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. God's power is limitless. He is a God of absolute power. And so this everlasting God is an almighty God. I don't understand how he can be eternal. I don't understand the kind of power that God has. But I believe it's true of him. One more thing quickly. Third characteristic that is unique to God. And that is that God is everywhere. The word that's used often is the word ubiquitous. I am actually hearing that sometimes. Like from news commentators. They'll talk about like Coca-Cola brand being ubiquitous. It means it's everywhere. We believe that God is everywhere, that he fills the universe that he has made, that there's no place you can go where God is not. 
I, I love the story of the building of the temple in the Old Testament in First Kings. And King Solomon is going to build this temple. And God says, you know, when you build this temple, I'm going to come and I'm going to be there in a special way. And Solomon is so overwhelmed by that. He says to, says to God, you know, how can this be that God would dwell among us when even the heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you? And he's right. God cannot be contained. He is everywhere. You know, Psalm 139, you know, raises the question, where could I go from your presence? Where could I flee from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. The farthest things they could think of, you know, back 2000 BC was the, the other side of the sea, you know, going to the other side of the Mediterranean. Could God actually be there? And the answer is yes. And now we look at expanded space. That if you were to go to the farthest reaches of the universe, to a galaxy out there somewhere, that God would be there. If you were to race at the speed of light for a million, million years, you would never outrace where God is. God is everywhere. But here's the clicker. Here's what really gives me a headache when I think about it. We believe that God is not only everywhere, but that God is totally everywhere. Remember, the Bible says you've got to be careful about drawing comparisons to God. He raises the question, to whom will you compare me? I used to compare God to, to gas. So if I had a container of gas here, helium or something, and, and I opened it in, in a closet, it would fill the closet, right? And if I had it and I opened it in here, it would fill this big room. Is God like that? Well, in a way, but no. Because the gas would just get thinner and thinner and less and less of it as it expanded to fill, fill this room, right? God is totally, perfectly every place so that whatever being there might be out there, you know, a gazillion miles from here is able to experience God in His totality just as we are. And it means then that God is not only way out there, but He's here with me. And so when I'm lying in bed and I'm thinking that prayer to God and I'm saying, do I really believe this? One of the things that I believe is that God is not just out there, but He's totally there with me as well. This everlasting, almighty God fills His creation. He is ubiquitous. He is everywhere. Do I understand it? I, I, can't, I can't imagine it. But I believe that it is true. And one of the things that happens when I sort of go through that mental exercise myself to remind myself what I believe about God is that it inevitably stirs up in me just this sense of awe and wonder and worship. And I wondered if I could maybe create that for you today. So I decided I would take some of these amazing passages from the Bible that describe God. And I wondered if you could watch and listen to these verses from Isaiah and from Job and from Psalms. That we could together just take a moment to be in awe and wonder of this great God. And it feels to me like it would be almost sacrilege for us just to sit there in the presence of this amazing God who not only fills the universe, but is here with us. So I invite you to stand and to worship God with me. Look and listen and worship.
Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? To whom will you compare me and who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, and the breadth of His hand has marked off the heavens. He's held the dust of the earth in a basket and weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He de determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limits before the mountains were born. Or ever you had brought forth the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. For a thousand years in your sight, or like a day that has gone by, or like a watch in the night. Oh Lord, our God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. You wrap yourself in light as with a garment. You made the clouds your chariot and you ride on the winds of the, the wings of the wind. Praise the Lord. Praise Him from the heavens. Praise Him from the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Lord God, we worship and we praise You. You are greater than we can understand. And we stand in honor and reverence of who You are. Great is the Lord our God, everlasting, almighty, eternal, majestic, holy. We worship and honor you. Amen. You may be seated. See, I'm going to take just a couple more minutes today because I think we've got to look at that other side of what, uh, what's, what Isaiah chapter 40 says as well. And that is that... Isaiah wants us to understand that all those things that we just said about God are true, but God is also this God who is near and dear to us. And God seems to delight in trying to help us understand that. So he will talk about himself as being, in the most intimate terms, he'll talk about himself as being 
He'll say, could I forget you? You know, no more than a mother could forget the infant nursing at, his bre- at her breast. He says, I, I, I'm like the mother hen who's gathering his chicks under her wings. And this beautiful illustration that Isaiah 40 uses of God as the shepherd caring for his sheep. Look at those verses. He says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who are with young. So this was written like 800 years before the time of Jesus. This Jesus who is the almighty, everlasting God. And Jesus says of himself, remember in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. He's a hireling whose who's own the sheep or not sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf comes and scatters and grabs the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as I know the Father and the Father knows me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. It would be an amazing thing to believe that God is all of those out there kind of mind-blowing things. But isn't it just as mind-blowing to believe that that awesome being that we call God is also the Good Shepherd who became Jesus the man who came for one purpose, to lay down his life for the sheep that he loves, that he calls to be his own? I hope you know God in both of those ways. So we're going to wind up this teaching by just having a a time of prayer and particularly a time of, of confession that we don't think of God big enough and we don't understand His personalness enough. And so I'm going to lead us in some areas of prayer and then I'm going to ask you to respond. So I'm going to close each section of the prayer uh, by saying, you know, Lord, we are sorry. And when I say we are sorry, then I'd like for you to respond by saying, Father, forgive us. Say it right now so it kind of sticks in your mind. I'll say, you know, Lord, we are sorry. And you'll say, Father, forgive us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we confess to you that we haven't believed that you are as big and as great as you are. We think of you as being limited in your power. We think of you as being too small and puny or too old. We want to have expanded minds to grasp a little more of your greatness and your holiness. So we confess to you that we think of you in, in terms that are too little and too small. And uh, we want to tell you that we are sorry. Father, forgive us. We have doubted that you really care about us, that you really are the good shepherd. Even at those times when we believe that there's a God who created everything, it's just such a big step sometimes to believe that, that you also care about us. And so we doubt your love and your protection and your direction in our lives. And we just want to tell you that we are sorry. Father, forgive us. And when we think about who you really are, we just realize that you are absolutely worthy of every bit of obedience 
and service that we could possibly give to you. And we have failed in that every day. We have not been good servants. And we are sorry. Father, forgive us. And I would pray now as we, as we sing this uh, next song that our understanding of who you are would just grip our hearts that you are God who cares for the lost and the lonely and the downtrodden and those who are burdened and afraid that that is the kind of God that you are and there is no other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.